Welcome to The Geek in Review, the podcast focused on innovative and creative ideas in the legal industry. I'm Greg Lambert, doing this solo this week while Marlon Gay Bauer is away. But the good news is she'll be back next week and we'll be bringing one of the original members of the Three Geeks team, Toby Brown, back to help us co-host next week's episode. So really excited to have Toby on the podcast for the first time ever. This week, I talk with Alex Den, Growth Marketing Lead at Genie AI, and Caroline Hill, Editor-in-Chief at Legal IT Insider. We talk about Genie AI's recent revelation that they uncovered nearly two-thirds of all legal contracts are gender-biased. We talk about why that's a problem, the pushback that Alex has seen from some in the industry, and Caroline's view on how the legal tech portion of the market has its own issues with gender bias as well. First up, we continue our crystal ball question this week with Eric Perez, Central Legal Operations Officer for Shell. Eric's vision of the future, not surprisingly, includes a lot more focus on legal operations. So we'll hear from Eric first, and then we'll jump into our conversation with Alex Den and Caroline Hill. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Eric Perez at Shell USA Inc. What I see in the future is really um, the need for embracing the legal ops as a whole and really thinking about uh, people retention and demonstrating the value of what legal ops brings as well as having the patience to wait for and uh, to invest in the 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 long like the long game really seeing from a standpoint of uh, people love immediate um, satisfaction and in some cases some of these programs take years to implement and then years to see the outcome but in the long term that the outcome is really worth the time and investment in legal ops as a whole and in that that you have a good team in legal ops as well as the not only the attraction of legal ops professionals but the retention as well okay when you say legal ops and, and you're coming from the client side what does that look like for for the if people don't understand what legal ops looks like on the client side yeah that's good that's a really good um for me it's uh i, I try and stick to a philosophy of only do things that you can do so if there are things that you don't need an attorney for um, we should be doing it. So from my standpoint, we look at pricing. We look at, uh, I have teams that, I currently have teams that do invoicing. I have teams that do IT support, project management, um, administrative support, and really kind of flow down the work. Um, if a paralegal can do it, then attorney shouldn't be touching it. If an admin can touch it, paralegal shouldn't touch it. If it's an invoice issue or invoice challenge or whatever the case may be, why am I having attorneys spend time doing it really have you know put that into the right hands of uh, the you know the trained staff and the uh, legal ops groups um, that's their specialty let them do what they do best so the attorneys can do what they do best awesome all right thanks all right. eric thank you greg we'd like to welcome alex den growth marketing lead at genie ai and caroline hill editor-in-chief legal it insider alex and caroline welcome to the geek and review thank you greg great to be here thank you so uh, I asked both of you to come on the show because I had read Caroline's article from a couple of weeks ago that was titled 63% of all legal contracts are gender biased that new data reveals. And that number was extracted, Alex, by, by your company at Genie AI. And so, Alex, before we dive into the middle of the topic itself, would you mind just kind of giving us a little bit of background on uh, Genie AI and why you guys wanted to conduct research on the issue of gender bias in existing contracts? Yeah, sure. I mean, first off, I should, I should express shock that I, I thought I'd be speaking to Adam Lambert based on your Twitter <laughs> handle. 
<laughs> yeah, there's still many. Uh, well, I guess they're 20 year olds now that are mad at me. Yeah, well, they've reunited, so your Twitter DMs must be going crazy, right? Yep. Room five are touring next year. You must have noticed that before many, I'm sure. Yeah, Queen, Queen and I are on tour next year, so. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the duet. Um, so, uh, Gini AI, like we, we currently describe ourselves as the, the UK's largest uh, open source template library. But that's really just the, the, the foundation for what we're trying to do, which is effectively open source the law and really reduce the barriers to access for legal documents for businesses, uh, mostly primarily they're our target market. Um, and through that usage data, we can drive insights that, um, you know, will just become fascinating for, for lawyers, for businesses uh, and help people sort of self-serve their own legal research um, with the form of the sort of AI legal assistant, but really it's, it's you know, machine learning and, and data analysis uh, applied on a, a broad layer of legal clauses, issues. Um. When you say uh, open source, can you kind of put some parameters on it? What, what, do you, what do you mean by open source? Well, so we're, we're working towards uh, a fully open source license. We're not there quite yet. We're still figuring out our, our pricing model. Um, we're currently pre-revenue. Um, so, uh, right, as of today, open source means anyone can use our entire platform free of charge, which has 1,500 um, legal templates available in the UK. Uh, we'll be looking to expand into the US early next year. The pricing model, whatever we implement, there's always going to be access to those legal documents for free in some form or another. So that's the open source mission we're pushing here. As far as the the gender bias, what what kind of caught your eye on that, that you wanted to do a, a report and find out and actually put some statistics on, on the gender bias in existing contracts? Well, first of all, it feels like when you do a little bit of research into this, it feels like a lot of people have been talking about it for some time, but no one can really say if we're progressing. So the fact that there was no answer to that question made me want to try and find an answer to that question. Okay. Um, Secondly, because we, you know, we've spent four years sort of poring over legal data, building this library of 1500 templates, which, you know, as I say, is the starting point, we'll be taking all of those contracts, splitting them into clauses or like components, and then offering different solutions within all of those uh, to, to tackle whatever legal issue that clause is supposing to tackle. And we need a massive data set in order to do that. And given that we're currently going through that motion, it gives us a great opportunity to regularly um, pour over that data and analyze it for evidence of bias on a clause level. Um, so right now we've done that on the contract level and it's just going to become part of our, our operations really that we'll be able to, to see all of these public filings, all of this public access data and report on are we actually progressing as a, as an industry, as a, uh, as, as, as a country, I suppose, and as a, um, there's a planet towards more inclusive, more gender neutral language. Uh, now, Caroline, I, when I was reading your story, your your editor's note was almost as long as the story itself, because I could tell that you had a real passion for this topic. And you talked about how the legal tech part of the market is actually becoming worse at gender bias in its language, uh, leading heavily toward male representation in contracts 
advertising and, and other industry language. What were some of the examples of things that you're seeing in the legal market, or at least the legal tech market? Yeah, so I think I'm saying that it was getting worse in terms of female representation in the legal tech market. So the number of UK CIOs, um, UK female UK CIOs is actually down, not up. I think that contracts have always been biased. I would really commend Genie AI on the work that they've done. Um, this is a great, great, you know, it's a great initiative. I think with contracts have been always been biased, um, but I think what's changing is our understanding of the impact that language, so A, our ability to analyse that, and B, our understanding of the impact that the, that has on us, um, and also our tolerance for it. I think there's a, you know, there's a, there should be zero tolerance for it now, because there's absolutely no place for gender bias within our contracts. It, it serves no purpose. Obviously, you have to be careful that the odd mention of the word sir isn't relevant in a different context, but mostly it serves no purpose. And I think that the gender bias really came on um, to, to my radar. So a few years ago, I was thinking, gosh, how can I use my platform to try and help um, improve diversity or at least learn more? Um, I hosted a, a meeting at one of the big law firms, um, which was chaired by their head of diversity. And she gave the most brilliant presentation showing us word clouds of things like you know, the words that girls and boys are subjected to as they're growing up um, and the impact that that has on them in, in terms of their adoption of STEM subjects. And I mean, it, all of this stuff is happening at such a subconscious level, but we are being bombarded continuously with language that affects our expectations of ourselves. Um, and I think that it's analysis um, has shown, you know, there's so much more intelligence around you know, analysis of, for example, job applications. She Again, this came up in, in that meeting. Um, the head of diversity was showing about job applications within STEM su subjects, particularly that if they use certain words like exhaustive, enforcement, fearless, they're more likely to attract men than women, even if the women are equally as qualified. Um, so I think just STEM is a really diff difficult subject. There's lots of things that will take years to improve in terms of diversity ratios, but there are some quicker wins and I think that the sort of stuff that Genie.ai's done and other and other firms are doing is a quicker win. Yeah interesting because I, I think a lot of people don't really think about it. I think one I, I think it also shows some laziness uh, on behalf of the people that are writing these and then relying upon the language as it's always been you know this is how we've always done it kind of thing. And so, and I imagine that there are people that get very defensive when you start calling them, you know, calling these things out as well. So, um, Alex, what, what were some of the common languages used that showed up in, in these contract language, in, in the contracts themselves and how prevalent are gender biased terms used over gender neutral uh, terms? For example, you know, chairman, chairwoman, or chairperson, uh, what, what kind of examples were you finding? So to clarify in our analysis, which, you know, is, is a starting point, uh, our analysis will definitely get more advanced as our technology gets more advanced. But we sort of broke it down into two steps. There's the gender specific pronouns such as he and she, obviously. And then we have uh, gendered nouns like chairman or actress or policeman. Now, uh, it's funny, you, you mentioned some people um you know, get frustrated with this subject. We noticed that when we started to put this out there, um, 
you know, a couple of people picked this up and some of the comments, you know, pe people are, are furious like that, saying, ah, oh, I cannot believe that you're telling me I can't use chairman. You know, I didn't know chairman was gendered. It's like, what do you mean? It's got man in it. <laughs> it's got man right at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> what else is that word doing there? Um, so some people are, st are still hung up on this for some reason. But in terms of the headline findings, um, no one was surprised by the headline finding, I should say. I think some of the, the finer details were more interesting. Um, but the headline was that um, if we say that a document is biased, if it uses either a gender-specific pronoun or a gendered noun at some point, we can say that roughly two-thirds of all the documents we analysed were biased in some form or another. So that leaves one-third uh, doing the right thing, which is... They have absolutely no place in our documents. We don't need them. Um, so, yeah, a, th a third of people or a third of contracts going out there, a third of documents being filed uh, are not using these terms. And kudos to them if you're one of those people. So thank you. And if you consider that you might not be, then take a look at the research. We do provide a list of all of the words that we used. And it's very easy to just run a quick search on your own templates in uh, Word or something like that. Yeah, I, I say you know, people get defensive because I, I know, oh gosh, it's probably been 10 years ago, but I, I gave a presentation once and there was a woman afterwards that came up and very politely kind of told me, said, look, you're really using male examples, male gender all the time in, in your talk. And my first reaction was, you know, how dare you tell me, you know, da, da, da. And then, but you know, after thinking about it, I was like, okay, you know, yes, it doesn't hurt me at all to make sure that I'm very balanced in how I present so I can see, you know, why that would be important to, you know, that was important to, you know, that small audience. And I can imagine that when you expand that to, you know, you know thousands, millions of people that may have to deal with, with contracts or language, um, that, you know, that those little things really add up. Uh, after a while. So, um, you know, I, I'm really happy that you guys are, are setting a baseline for where we are so that we can measure, are we actually uh, improving? And, you know, Caroline, it's, uh, I know Alex and, and Genie AI and, and his group are working on this, but you had mentioned that there are some other tools out there as well. Like, I think it's uh, Textio, for example, that helps you clean up gender bias language. So you get to see a lot of tools that are out there with your day job. Where do you think we still need to put more effort into cleaning up our gender bias language here in, in the legal industry? Yeah, um, I think it, 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 there's no doubt it's, it's, it's you know, it takes some effort. So te Textio is actually for job interviews, as I mentioned above, you know, the, the language of job interviews it's surprisingly um, important and text you, you, you I think it's free you can you can just put your job interview and I really highly recommend people do this because it's amazing the small changes that you can make using something like Textio um, in terms of the language that you're using. And, and they've got real examples of, of how that will affect the uh, applica applications that you receive. So it's really worth doing if people aren't doing that already. Yeah. There's another one and, that I'm not, not... And that's what you mentioned earlier, right, with the, mm -hmm. with the language. It's not just pronoun issues, but there's actually certain, certain phrases that, exactly. that it may pick up as well. 
Exactly. And, okay. and, and again, I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine people listening might be like, oh, for goodness sakes, this is just all just taking it too far. But they've got, they've got measured, you know, they, they've done research, there's extensive research, if anybody wants to Google this, you know, there's extensive research showing that language does affect, you know, whether you, particularly women, see themselves as appropriate, as, as good enough, as, you know, whether they're likely to apply. So if you, and, you know, we, we, so people are like, oh, we really want more diversity. But actually, if you're, if you're, if you're putting out a job advert, that only really appeals to men you're falling at the first hurdle right and if you and it may seem right. like you know oh, i'm taking it too far but in other words i don't know that anyone would use go getter but you know like sort of masculine sounding terms um will immediately put women off from applying um so that's one no i, I could see go getter being put in a in a <laughs> <laughs> in a job application or a job job description, we need a real go getter here. Once so. you're aware of this, well, you go and read some job interviews. Once you're aware of it, it's about the awareness. Like you were saying with your talk, right? It was there was nothing, you know, you didn't have any bad intentions. But the more you become aware of this, the more actually you start to pick up on all of this stuff. So it's really great that we're having yep. this conversation because then the next time you look at a job interview and it's like we need a strong, you know, whatever it might be, you go, oh, I can see why that might not appeal. Um, um, so there's another one called text met- text metrics, which I'm not as familiar with, but maybe that's worth a look. Um, but in terms of law firms, so, um, you know, they've got these vast knowledge banks, um, which are going to be, you know, quite, I would in many cases, gender biased. Um, and they can work with a company like Genie AI or I don't see any reason. I mean, Alex, you could tell me otherwise, but I don't see that we're not certainly not short in the industry of contract analysis. Um, and drafting tools and I see no reason why they couldn't use their own software whatever they're using to conduct a similar exercise um, and 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 take steps to remediate it but there's um one um, magic circle firm uh, that has built its own tool using Microsoft Azure cognitive service for language um, which is a cloud-based service they use NLP so they've decided that because they're looking for gender to specific words rather than concepts. They didn't actually need to use, you know, perhaps on a cost basis, they didn't need to use an external provider. Obviously, it's too laborious to kind of do a control F exercise, um, too time consuming. So they've built their own solution. So we started to see and they've they've gone through all of their they've gone through. I mean, it. It's also they, they put the output into Excel and then there is a manual exercise that the knowledge team have to engage in. It's not automated and they have to be very careful because obviously you can't just do a con- <laughs> control F type thing because there may be words in. I mean, this knowledge, as you know, is the, the lifeblood of the firm. And if they right. were to change, if they were to change something and it actually has a place in there. Then, then you know that's going to be really problematic. So the, it is time; it can be time-consuming, but there are ways of, of of creating shortcuts and and sort of doing it in a in a more efficient way. Yeah. Well, as you were saying that, you know, I, I was thinking I, I've heard of some firms, and, and maybe there's some companies out there that are doing this with contracts that are kind of taking contracts and uh, anonymizing them. Um, you know, taking out certain certain phrases, certain personal information, it would seem almost logical that that those same tools could then take out the gender bias language as well um, and make that part of the the process. So, uh, Alex, maybe that's the, uh, the the next thing for Genie AI. <laughs> it's funny you mention that. We actually have academic research collaborations with some key London universities. One of those has been around. Um, 
using AI and maintaining the privacy of the data sets that that AI ingests. And it can be quite uh, telling. The way that things are phrased in documents could be a sign that it's from a certain firm. So in order to maintain privacy of data sets uh, and anonymization of large data sets, it makes sense to be doing this kind of work. And yeah, it would not be a massive extra step to include something like this. Um, you know, even just as a notification or a notice that says, hey, we know, like, thank you for contributing this to this data set, or just so you know, we've used this as part of our data set. We noticed that it was gender biased, by the way. Is that something you've taken steps to improve? Yep. And then they yell at you. <laughs> well, you know, um, I want to tell another story as well. Um, I reached out to a few members of the uh, LGBTQ plus committee of the Law Society here in the UK, and I, I got into an email thread with one, and they said that someone had actively responded to a gender neutral, uh, I think it was a living will document, and said, this only uses the word they. I would like you to replace it all with he and Mr. and man and all of these things. And it's like, how, how are there people who want to push back against this? Who cares? You know, it literally, it, it, it's, it's completely unnecessary. It's undesirable. Um, and yeah, it, it hurts absolutely nobody. And yet right. there are some people who, who have a visceral reaction to this thing. So yeah. I, I think it's, very important to just raise and continue to nudge. And I think there's going to be lots of polite nudges and prods towards this, which is why annually reporting will show us that hopefully all of these little prods, these little nudges will be pushing us in the right direction. Yeah. And, that, and I found I, I was actually in a, in a non-legal uh, meeting a few weeks ago where, they, where we were discussing some uh, certain laws against uh, the LGBTQ plus uh, community and the bias that was going on there. And the speaker said something that was really interesting, and that was when you reduce bullying on one group of people, it actually has an effect to reduce bullying on everyone. That it's not just the, it doesn't just have an effect just on that one group, but it has these waves that go out and affect other, you know, the, the bullying that may go on in other groups as well. So, you know, empathy is uh, not everyone has it. Um, and I think there are some people that uh, don't understand what the reason is behind what we're doing. I think I think our audience is sophisticated enough to understand what what's going on and what the benefit is. But I know that there are groups out there that feel like um, – I don't know. For some reason, it's like a personal attack upon them when you when you do this. When really you're just saying, "Look, we're looking really to make this equally accessible and uh, applicable to everyone." Um, and the way it is now, it is not. So uh, again, uh, applaud you for doing that. I mean, cha change is tough, right? And 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 there's always going to be the people that resist. But I think you just have to look in terms of gender, the statistics across the legal tech sector, in terms of the diversity that we're seeing. And it is so bad. <laughs> um, and, and across the legal sector, I mean, actually, in mainstream legal, I think the stats are better. And obviously, they've got targets, etc. But but if you look at the number of female CIOs, we're, we're doing better with heads of innovation. But and we are actually and there is you see some improvement. But in overall, you know, you just have to point out to people that clearly we need to do a lot more. Right, um, and that we can't just continue to maintain the status quo. Yeah, 
Now, Alex, I know gender-neutral drafting of contracts is actually a policy there in, in the UK with the government. So how does the UK government encourage and or require gender-neutral drafting in, in government contracts? And are you, are you seeing other countries apply this principle? I, I don't think I can answer the other countries applying this principle that I'm aware of. I know there are lots of bodies picking this up and many of them will be institutional. Um, What's the the UK doing? Yeah, so the UK's uh, Office of the Parliamentary Council and the government legal department have been sort of promoting gender uh, neutral drafting for UK statutes uh, and uh, statutory instruments for years. Um, They released something in 2019 that was effectively a guide to gender neutral drafting, and ultimately they're pushing it to become a better employer themselves and push others to become better, more inclusive employers. Um, And I I sort of want to, I'm going to drift a little bit away from government. And uh, there's this quote I found from a a new guide to gender neutral drafting from LexisNexis, uh, which was a significant percentage of the next generation of the workforce no longer sees gender as binary and expects to see a new and better approach to gender identity and expression in documentation. And I feel like, you know, there are a lot of big entities increasingly aware of this, increasingly pushing this. And uh, the UK government's just just one of many um, pushing us in this direction. I wonder if they have some of those tools that you've mentioned embedded, Caroline. I hope they do. Yeah. After I asked the question, a memory was jarred. And I remember last year that uh, President Biden here in the U.S. ordered all military terminology to be gender neutral. Um, And so that uh, and uh, again, uh, I think that was something that made sense because rank is gender neutral. (laughs) <laughs> and there are, a, 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 you know, this, it's not a all male army. Um, so it's, it, it's, you know, makes sense uh, to do that. Uh, so I know that's one thing that, that we're seeing here in the U.S. And I'm, I'm sure there are states and, and others that are, that are using that in their contract language as well. So um, I, I think we're on, the, I think we're on that road. I, I think it just makes sense. Um but uh, we'll, we'll see how, how, how windy that road is as we go forward. <laughs> so, Caroline, I know that uh, Genie AI's report suggests that uh, gender-biased contracts should be sent back to the company that, that creates those contracts and uh, told that you're not going to be able to sign those contracts until the gender-biased language is changed. Um, so I'm just curious, have you ever done something like this where you've sent a contract back and tell, told them revise this uh, language or, or redlined it for them uh, and, and sent it back? I so I haven't been a, I was a lawyer but it's such a long time ago and I and and so me personally <coughs> excuse me um, no but I think it um, I think my observations are particularly fall around cl- the clients who can do that should be doing that so we what we're seeing within we're seeing uh, clients really putting law firms under pressure when it comes to things like diversity um, ratios on their deals so last year coca-cola became the latest company to threaten to withhold legal fees from its law firms that failed to meet minimum diversity requirements for example uh, hp that has threatened to withhold up to 10% of costs invoiced by law firms that don't meet its minimum diversity staffing. And in the UK, we have BT, 
um, which said that it would offer guaranteed panel um, renewal for firms with the best diversity and inclusion records. Those clients, they're, so they're doing, you know, they're, they're giving, they're giving, giving diversity stats teeth. Okay, the, the clients are the ones who really can make a difference because they they can say to their law firms, "This has to happen," and <laughs> the law firms will jump. It's a case of how high, how how much can we do? And they can be doing the same thing. They, uh, I believe that they have a, really have an obligation where they spot um, gender bias in their contracts. They really should be sending it back and saying, you need to fix this. Um, and I think that will make a yeah. massive difference. Yeah, I, I think it definitely would. I can imagine if a client sent something back and, and said, you know, rework this because uh, the bias in here is, is not in accordance with our policy uh, or our culture. Um, and that, that would have more of an effect on, on anything. So, you know, Alex following that up. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Karen. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just saying, sorry, it's interrupted, but just because, I mean, it's difficult because of time, right? So, so, you know, it, when you, ha- we all know, you know, you have these deals and time, time is of the essence, and, but there, there must be ways of structuring it, even if not right within the context of that deal, you know, when, when you need to get something done within 24 hours, but you can build a process around it and you can have a debrief at the end of the deal, something like that, where you, at the end you say, right, these need this needs to be created. Outside council guidelines is where it needs to start. Yeah. Is setting it up there with the expectation that that the council that you're using, the law firm that you're using, the attorneys that you're using that are outside of your firm, you know, we tell them that you know that we give them instructions on you can't charge for you know uh, pizza after seven o'clock uh, or or you can only only do this or that. So you can add that in. I know that. That is one of the easiest ways to set the tone for how your uh, your work with the outside counsel goes. And again, if that is part of your culture, then that should be part of your outside counsel guidelines as well. So. Right. Alex, what other suggestions do you, do you have for people who are writing contracts and, and those of us, again, that are asked to sign them? Um, or even on the the, uh, the data side, for those of us that are trying to clean up contracts, um, so what, what are your suggestions on how to create gender bias in contracts themselves? Yeah, so to, to correct gender bias in contracts themselves, you know, start with a gender neutral template. We have 1500. They are available from all of your major template hubs. Uh, So that would be a very sensible place to start. If you have your own in-house hub or library uh, or or template bank, contract bank, um, just get a data analyst to run over them with the tool and point out all of the points where you're using one of the words that we used in our analysis. Um, And if Caroline's able to share any of the phrases and the sort of uh, areas that that might perhaps be more sort of male gendered, uh, I think that would be a really helpful uh, data set to, to sh- just share with the community. Um, in order to then make sure that you're getting a sort of return on on your efforts, and, and it's not just lost time because, you know, time is is money. I think that's uh, not, you know, so true as it is uh, in the, the legal industry compared to any other, I would, I would say. I think we hear time and time again that lawyers, clients, counterparties all want to reduce pushback. Um, there's a lot of time spent with the back and forth. And so get ahead of it. If this becomes more of a prevalent reason for pushback, then just just cut it out because it's not going to affect any of the legal soundness or any element 
of, of the contract. And the other thing is, is almost a little bit of a warning, and I feel a bit cheeky saying it, but I'm just quite excited about when we when our database, yeah, this was this was sort of like a pilot study, if you like. When our data set gets a lot larger, we will be calling out the big multinational companies or the companies that have to do public filing on whether they're using these terms or not. So keep an eye out because you might end up on a list that you might not want to be on because you're using antiquated templates, antiquated wording. Um, you know, there's new standards and it just makes sense to, to you know, jump on the wagon. Great. And, and um, I was so thrilled that you used the word cheeky. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a great word. It you is. The word cheeky. It is. We don't use that enough here. <laughs> I love that. Uh, um, so, Alex, uh, before we get to our crystal ball question, what's on the horizon for Genie AI? Well, that is a, a big and exciting question. We are on the cusp, I would say, of providing market standard data across all practice areas um, in, in the UK and the US. And that sort of data isn't really available anywhere. The idea of being able to say, you know, 93% of consultancy agreements include uh, some sort of intellectual property or confidentiality clause. Yours doesn't. Do you want to add that? Um, or something that says um, in your industry for senior employment agreements, the standard notice period is actually six months. Do you want to change that? Mm. And, you know, we've seen standards change hugely with things like force majeure with the pandemic and, uh, you know, working from home, etc. And, I think with a lot of the tools that are out there online, you don't really know where they came from and how old they are and how up to date they are. So with a tool like Genie, with active AI sort of seeking out new market standards on a daily basis, crawling all of those public filings, um, all, we've got you know, uh, 100 or so lawyers who contribute to our, our, our libraries and our data sets. You can add your own clauses um, and you know, try and set new market standards yourself on the clause level. Um, so we're really excited about that, but we're, we're also going to be going end to end. So not only will you be able to create a contract from scratch from our clause library, but you'll also be able to use uh, eSign products to handle that, organize all your documents, do all of the in-between, the red line editing. So we're just trying to create a bit of an end-to-end -end platform here that has uh, legal intelligence uh, at, at the absolute heart of it, uh, powered by AI. And hopefully we'll also have a little checkbox as part of that when you're ready to sign and we'll say, just so you know, this has some terms that are not uh, inclusive. Mm. So, uh, you know, do you want to change that before you send it to sign? Excellent. Excellent. Sound, sounds like a good uh, path to be on. So uh, now we're at the point where we ask all of our guests our crystal ball question. And, and I know we've talked a lot about gender bias in, in contract language, but I don't want to necessarily limit you to this on, on the answer for this question. So uh, take it however you want. Um, Alex, I'll start with you. What, what do you see as changes or challenges uh, in the legal industry over the next three to five years? So I want to I want to pick up on something that one of your previous guests mentioned, actually. So you had uh, Dr. Alexander Hudek and Noah Weisberg on, mm -hmm. and they were talking about their, their AI for lawyers book. Um, and they mentioned that there's often a lot of pushback, a lot of distrust about AI in the industry. You know, it feels complicated, not that transparent. Right. And we get that. We've heard that. Um, we hear you. And 
There's also, I think, a little bit of fear, uncertainty, doubt around the idea that AI is trying to replace some legal professional services jobs. Whereas actually they mentioned in that episode, brilliant episode, um, the Javon's paradox, I think. Yes. Where if if you th- make something far more efficient through the use of technology, people might think that demand is going to go down because you need less of it. Um, but actually demand goes up. If you make a coal power plant more efficient for every lump of coal you put in, actually you end up putting more coal in because you're producing more power and people can then create more energy intensive industries, et cetera, mm-hmm. off the back of that additional power generation. So for AI, I think it's a very similar thing in the legal industry. We are not trying to turn everyone into a lawyer. We're not trying to create an AI lawyer. What we're looking at is within five years, most legal professional services jobs will have a legal assistant in their pocket that just helps them with Mm. so many of the tasks that they do. So they can help more businesses, they can solve more problems, and they can build more clients. So it's it's really a win-win. And, um, you know, it's not an either or. And so I think there's a real challenge in trying to see how that feeling uh, progresses over the next few years and hopefully we can win people around to that sort of futuristic way of looking. Thanks. Well, Caroline, I know you see so much in what's going on in, in the legal, especially the legal tech industry. What what are some of the changes or challenges you see in the next uh, three to five years? So I think um, perhaps what you might not expect me to say, but I think my challenges are around culture. Um, I think that there's not enough change. I think that we talk about tech all the time, but and I see lots of people talking about innovation, but actually I don't see very much change in terms of how law firms are structured, in terms of the management, in terms of also, you know obviously diversity being a part of that. Um, and I think that whilst we've got the same people doing the same things, that we can't really expect to really properly move on and innovate in the way that we should be. So for me, that's, you know, that's something that um, we're now moving into hybrid working, right? So that's going to be, so that's going to be more of a challenge than ever, you know, and we really need the right culture to create, um, you know, to manage that situation as it needs to be managed. It's going to be a massive challenge from a tech and a culture perspective, really bringing on teams and you need leadership from the top. And what you're seeing is leaders who actually want to just now work from home and they're telling their young team, their young ones to come into the office, right? There's all sorts of, there's so many examples of how, the culture needs to change. And until the culture changes, we can talk about tech till we are blue in the face and we can talk about innovation till we're blue in the face. But until the culture really changes, until law firms start really being honest with themselves and probably corporate legal as well, I don't think that much is going to, not as much as it should change will change. Uh, I think I've told you this before that uh, to me, culture is the is the worst behavior that a uh, uh, a, a law firm will tolerate from its money makers. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, right? that, that's the culture there. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's going to be a challenge. You see, you see some, you see some firms bringing in. You know, there's some re- some of the US firms doing some great stuff. They brought in some brilliant people at the C-suite level, and they're really starting to shake things up. But and you know it's happening, but it's happening slowly. And then the, and then they're talking about innovation. They're talking about technology as if it's, you know, can be can be sort of talked about in isolation, but it can't. Yeah, 
yeah, the the siloing of, of innovation uh, in firms is is really interesting. So I know that's a an odd spot to leave off, but uh, I want I want to thank both of you for coming in, Alex Den from Genie AI and Caroline Hill uh, from Legal IT Insider, and also on Fridays you can catch uh, Caroline on Bob Ambrogi's uh, live uh, Legal Week presentation uh, on. Facebook and Zoom, and, uh, and I always enjoy that. So, Alex, Caroline, thank you both for coming on. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Well, thanks again to Alex Den and Caroline Hill for talking with me today. And, of course, thanks to all of you for taking the time to listen to the Geek & Review podcast. We really appreciate having an audience that we can share a topic like reducing gender bias in contract language with and those that really understand the importance of it. So if you enjoy the show, please share it with a colleague. We'd love to hear from you. So you can reach out to us on social media. Marlene can be found at GayBauerM on Twitter. And I can be reached at Glambert on Twitter. And I'm also on Hive Social Network at Glambert as well. Once again, disappointing Adam Lambert fans everywhere. Sorry, Glamberts. Or you can leave us a voicemail on our new Geek & Review hotline at 713 713- Four eight seven seven eight two one, and as always, the music you hear is from Jerry David DeSica. Thank you, Jerry. Marlene will be back next week along with our good friend Toby Brown. We'll see you then.